Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and don't get high on your own supply. Welcome, everybody, to part two of the latest episode of I Hate Love Remakes. I am Noel. Joining me, as always, is Evie. Ahoy, hoy. I'm just going with, like, random Mr. Burns things now. That's what I'm doing. We're all left kind of speechless after the last episode. <laughs> yeah, we're, like, we're just... We're so Draining and uninspiring. Uh, like, I'm just so tired. Don't make me do it anymore. Yeah, that's how I felt watching the film that we're talking today about. <laughs> <laughs> Angie's joining us again. Hello, Angie. Hello. Run, quickly, go. Just save yourself. I requested this, and this yes. movie yeah. is the reason why, so I can't run. I'm I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. You can't. <laughs> so, Evie, do you want to tell us what we're talking about today? Sure. Scarface from 1983, which was a year after I was born. So, that is about as interested in it as I am. Hang on, I'm picking up the pieces of my blown mind. You didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> After that last one, I'm like, I'm too tired to be like Grumpy Cat. I'm just like, yeah, why not? Yeah, and this was, a lot of people are surprised that I've never seen either version of Scarface before, especially this one. Mm-hmm. And I watched the original one last night, and this one I saved for today. And I, I didn't realize until just as I was putting it in that it's two hours and 50 minutes long. So I ended up finishing it, like literally the credits were rolling just as we started the episode. <laughs> So it's fresh in mind. Yep. It's a long one. It yep. is. So one thing we should get into is that there was some debate as to whether or not Scarface counts as a remake, because this version doesn't credit either the original film or the original novel. It does have the little dedication at the end where the film is dedicated to Howard Hawks and Ben Hecht, who did the original film, but it doesn't credit either one. Having seen them both now, I think it's... I mean, we'll get into a lot of the details as we get in, but I think... There's no way it's not a remake. Yeah. Structurally, (laughs) it's pretty much the same general story. There's a lot of scenes that very closely echo what happened in the earlier film. There's entire lines of dialogue that are lifted from the earlier film. And a lot of these are all elements that originate in that earlier film, not the original novel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Watching this film, I can't even tell you that there was anything that came from the original novel that wasn't in the original film, because it doesn't look like they really went back to that original novel, except for maybe just one little thing, which we'll get Mm -hmm. to, but it's a remake. Yeah. Yep. We're counting it. See, I just figured you did it because, you know, I asked for it and you like me, so. (laughs) That too. (laughs) Well, I was going to be like, if I watch these two films and they're too different, no, that ends the whole thing. We're just, we're calling it all off here. And suddenly I've become Christopher Walken. I don't know why. Because it delights me to no end when you do that impression. Say it. Know what I am. I would have killed for that. That would have been beautiful. Walken pyre. So, yeah, the 1983 Scarface was directed by Brian De Palma, who I've always been a little indifferent to. Ditto. Technically, his films are always really well put together, but I just never really get into the stories or characters all that much. They're really cold. You know, I know a lot of people love Carrie and Untouchables. I I like Carrie, but I don't love it. 
Untouchables, I've never really gotten into. Untouchables is like that thing where if it's like Sunday and it's on AMC, I'll watch it. Yeah. I feel like people give Brian De Palma a lot of credit and I'm like, I don't know why, because I've never been drawn in by any of his movies. I'm like, yeah, that's a technically that is. I think we look back with a lot of fondness, but even back in the day, he actually got a lot of crap Mm. because of how much he mimicked Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Mm. I mean, a lot of the film community in the 70s and early 80s kind of really didn't like him, but Blowout is fine. It's a fine thriller, but it doesn't really do much for me. Mission Impossible is okay, even though it doesn't make a lick of sense. Snake Eyes is okay. Mission to Mars is one of the most laughably horrible, hilarious things I've ever seen. I've tried watching Body Double like four times and I've never gotten past the first hour. I've seen Sisters. How's that one? I haven't seen that one yet. Yep. Okay. It's a movie. (laughs) I mean, Dress to Kill is okay, but I mean, a lot of his films are okay. They're interesting, kind of. Yeah, it's like, on a technical level, I am interested in what you are doing, sir. His stuff reminds me a lot of Dario Argento. They have Mm -hmm. this same kind of stylized look to their films. I think De Palma, his stories are better than Argento's, but not by much. Mm. Yeah, his films just don't really do a whole lot for me, for the most part. You know, I mean, Carrie is probably the one, you know, I'm still reserving what I think of today's subject, but out of all the other films, Carrie is probably the one that I like the most. Yeah. And even then, I have some level of detachment to it. He's just, he's a very cold technical director. Yeah, that, yeah. that's what I've found with a lot of his movies is at no point do I feel drawn in by any of it. I'm always like off to the side. I never feel like I can be part of the story or like I'm involved in the story. It's kind of the same problem I have with a lot of Bob Zemeckis' films from like the 90s <laughs> on, where it's so focused on the technical level <laughs> that it, there's this detachment. You just never fully connect with the material because you're so focused on how it's being technically presented. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I always feel with Brian De Palma. And, you know, I would like to see more of his films. He has some that sound interesting. It's, he's not a director I hate. He's not a director I dislike. He's just not a director that excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like when the new David Fincher movie, and I'm like, if anyone oh, is yeah. kicking open the front door, going to the car, starting the car, going to the movie theater and camping out for the next six months. See, there's a guy who mm-hmm. has, I would say, even more gifted on a technical level, but mm-hmm. he also knows how to envelop you in the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Scareface was written by... Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. Oh, that man is tedious. I can't even with him. I've seen so little of his stuff. I've seen enough of his stuff that I'm like, yes, I get it. My feeling with Oliver Stone, at least, I mean, I've seen Nixon, for instance. He can make you feel something. It may not be what you want to feel, but he'll make you feel something. If you make (laughs) sleepiness. The only ones I've seen are Platoon, JFK, and Nixon. Mm -hmm. And I love all three of them. His stuff is a little tedious, a little overdrawn, but what I like about him is he knows how to tell a good character-driven story while also being a very analytical story that also kind of details the society, the place in Mm -hmm. history. It kind of explores things from such a multitude of different angles. I mean, his films are almost like visual novels in the amount of detail that they pack in. I saw Alexander. I can see that. I haven't seen Alexander. I haven't seen Wall Street. So, I mean, I still have a lot that I need to see. I didn't care for Wall Street. Okay. But I did like Nixon a lot. I've liked none of his movies, I think. I'm like, I'm trying to think of all the ones he's done. I'm like, nope. Wow, he co-wrote Evita? <laughs> oh, Evita. Yeah, I'm just looking at the ones he wrote here. Like, I haven't seen Natural Born Killers. Oh, wait, I like Natural Born Killers. There we go. I got, he oh, got yeah. one. There you go. One. Congratulations. Yeah, he also wrote Conan, but John Milius rewrote it. Yeah, well, I don't think that anyone lost out there. I love Conan. That's because you're adorable, The Riddle of Steel. 
<laughs> but I mean, Oliver Stone, I mean, what I've seen has intrigued me enough that I would like to at some day just sit down and go through his other stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though, like Aaron Sorkin, he's pretty much burned himself out on coke. Mm-hmm. Oliver Stone, I like what I've seen, but I'll admit that I haven't seen a lot. You know, we didn't even do the recommendations yet. No, we haven't gotten there yet. No. That's coming up. It's my fault. It's my fault. Up? You can go sit in the corner for five minutes. <laughs> You don't get to take a kitten with you. I don't have any kittens. I only have cats. Ah. Okay, so let's move on to the movie, and here's where I'll edit in the synopsis. Meow, 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 meow. Alongside his best friend, Manny, Tony Montana arrives in Miami on a boat of Cuban refugees. After working some odd jobs and a few cheap political assassinations, Tony starts working his way up the Florida underground as a drug dealer and enforcer quickly rising to a position as a chief lieutenant of drug lord Frank Lopez. Tony starts reveling in his power and wealth but gradually starts reaching too high for his boss's comfort, making deals and grabbing territory without Frank's permission. It also doesn't help that Tony has started pursuing Elvira Hancock, Frank's mistress, so Tony suddenly finds himself the target of an attempted hit. Tracing it to Frank. Tony kills his boss and fully takes over the organization. With increased power comes increased pressure, as the heavily cocaine-addicted Tony starts sinking into paranoia and violence. Elvira leaves him, the feds start cracking down on his accounts and taxes, and Sosa, his supplier from Bolivia, is growing increasingly dissatisfied. Tony's also been having problems at home. His mother, who earns a modest living on her own, has refused all these years to accept Tony's money, but his sister Gina has slowly been drawn into the wealthy life of parties and drugs. She's also started up a secret relationship with Manny, but on the night they finally get married, Tony sees them together and kills Manny in a jealous rage. On the final night in his mansion, Tony buries his head in coke as his devastated sister tries to figure him out but she's quickly shot down as the entire building finds itself overrun by Sosa's men who are finally severing all ties to Tony. Tony puts up a final fight with a massive machine gun and grenade launcher but eventually succumbs to the overwhelming odds. Evie, do you recommend this movie? Did they have an editor on this movie? Because I feel like they could have used an editor on this movie. If they did not have an editor on this movie, then that They had sense. two editors. Okay, well then both of them clearly did not do their job. Like, I guess one was assuming that the other one was doing the editing and vice versa, so... I'm guessing that's what happened because were this like a two-hour really cut-down movie, this would have been like really good. But at the beginning, I'm like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Once he gets to his family, I'm like, okay, now I'm actually interested, I'm intrigued, I'm involved. Continue. And then it kind of keeps going and go. And then halfway through, I'm like, okay, are we done yet? And then there's the big shootout. And then it ends. And I'm like, okay, well, if that was maybe like two hours, it would have been good. But the way it is now, I don't really like it. And no, it's really long. It's so long. Why is it so long? Okay. (laughs) So no, I don't recommend it. (laughs) Angie, do you recommend this movie? Yes, I do. (laughs) Don't worry, you won't be the only one. (laughs) I admit it has pacing problems. It is very long, and I'm not sure everything is necessary. But I do like that we sort of follow Tony through his, you know, very beginnings in the country, his rise, his sort of malaise at the top for a little while there, and then his fall. I like that, and and it builds to that amazing last 10 minutes. 
They took everything that was dull and uninteresting in the original and fleshed it out and made it more plausible and made it feel something. I'm usually not one for gangster films at all, but I really like this one and I think it's a great character piece and I really enjoy it. I also recommend this movie. It's an impeccably edited movie. <laughs> You're just waiting for her to rage at you. Yes. <laughs> I'm not even going to bother. Like, No, I mean, it's a very long, very dense movie, but I think they at least make it work just by the level of detail they have. And as we said, I don't like gangster movies. I think Tony is still a completely unrepentant asshole. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this movie is that it's not so much a character study as it is a social examination about where the whole drug trade and the mob takes place in society, you know, both in terms of, you know, how it's tied in with the money of the elite, how it's tied in with distributing drugs to the street, how it's just, it's a film that's about a guy who deals drugs and the empire that society allows him to build. I find that interesting in terms of a social examination, and that's where I think Oliver Stone's strengths lie. And I think the fact that Oliver Stone is writing it actually then elevates De Palma's direction because it gives the material this depth and this weight and this complexity that matches the visual things that he's doing. And he doesn't go over the top of the visuals like he does in some of his movies. He has some odd little bits, but, you know, for the most part, he just pretty much does a good steady direction of taking this really solid script and bringing it to screen. I think the cast, despite the fact that the majority of them are white actors playing non-white roles, mm -hmm. which is a part that really ages this film poorly yeah. in terms of that being an acceptable thing to do. It's still a very strong cast. The characters are good. It's just a very interesting film. I think my only problems with it aside from taking minorities and sticking white people in with brown makeup, are the music. The music is so 80s synth pop, and it's just... <laughs> wow, it's You don't fantastic. like push it to the limit? Come on. <laughs> it's literally like a Madonna teen comedy. It's like literally a score fell into this film from like a Brat Pack movie. Mm. I mean, like, there's literally an 80s pop power anthem montage sequence that, yep. you know, like straight out of a Rocky movie. Yep. <laughs> I love that they did that because I'm like, oh my god, wow, really? We're go Okay, we're going here. Yep. So much of this film, you know, the way it's designed, the style of it, and all this stuff is actually pretty timeless. I mean, because Tony, especially the way he dresses, the cars he does are very, you know, 1950s era. The dresses that Michelle Pfeiffer's in are pretty timeless. And it's a film that ages very well, surprisingly, except for that music, <laughs> which just feels like it comes from a completely different movie than the movie that it's in. I don't know. I think his sister's hairstyle and Is yeah. It, yeah. The, the, outfits, the, 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 the outfits are, coming back, are very right? early 80s. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's hair looked like for the majority of the 80s. So I can't really blame the movie for it. No, but I mean, like even Michelle Pfeiffer's outfits, those were very yeah. 80s. It's coming back now. Well, yes and no, but they also had a very classical, you know, 30s, 40s design to them. They did not. The, all that spangly okay. stuff that they had all over it, that is very... And the, the low neck almost to your navel. And the no bra. The no bra. The no bra yeah, yeah. yeah, but no, that was a look from the flapper days, too. But Not became, that extreme, though. Yeah, you did not see that kind of cleavage. With we shall flap. disagree. <laughs> see how disagreement makes the conversation so much more interesting. <laughs> Well, that's because you're always wrong, and I'm always right. It's not my fault. Yes, I know, but that allows me to edit it so that I sound right. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about Tony, this time played by Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. 
fucking Al Pacino. Who the fuck does that fucker think he is? I went to high school with guys like these where I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. You're not articulate because every third word out of your mouth is fuck. I even love how Michelle Pfeiffer's character goes, really? You got to say fuck every third word? Really? Okay. <laughs> Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer was my spirit animal in that movie. I was like, you think what I think. I figured Michelle Pfeiffer reminded me a lot of you in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just had this layoff with the bullshit type of look to her. Yeah. Her I loved. I was like, no, don't leave me, Michelle. When she left, I was like, no, come back. You're she was a smart one. I love. Yeah. She got the fuck out. She knew what she was doing. I love her in everything, but I love her in this movie a yeah. lot, too. Like, she could be in the worst movie, and I'm like, I still love you in this movie. Yeah. I don't care. The only one I don't like her in is Catwoman, and that's where I fall in the minority. Yes, she you do. She wasn't in Catwoman. No, I know, but as Catwoman in Batman Returns. That whole movie was very Tim Burton-y. Well, yeah. You know what actor I loved in this movie? What? Brett Ratner as Boy and Pool. What? <laughs> what? Seriously, like at the bottom of the IMDb credits, Brett Ratner, boy lying on raft in pool. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> clearly really memorable. Oh my god. <laughs> That's true, yeah, it is. See, I, I am not making that up. <laughs> nope, a Google search for Brett Ratner and Scarface does not bring up a photo of Boy and Pool. Oh. But we can dream that one of the worst filmmakers of all time <laughs> yeah. was inspired by having been a boy in a pool <laughs> on such a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Who's worse, him or McG? So, back to uh, yeah, Scarface. Yeah, Al Pacino. Uh... <laughs> I mean, Al Pacino, I thought his performance was very ethnic stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was still, it was a good performance, but I mean, he's mostly just an angry asshole. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's memorable. I will say that he reminded me of, if anyone's ever seen Sid and Nancy, he kind of reminded me of Chloe Webb in Sid and Nancy in that sometimes I would actually be interested in what was going on with him. And then sometimes he'd open his mouth and I just wish he would drown. Yeah. I was like that too, how there were times when I was drawn in just to see, you know, how's Tony going to react to this? And there were other times where I was like, Tony, shut up. The mm-hmm. moment in the, the restaurant, I thought he did a really good job with that. I'm the bad guy. That's probably one of his strongest. You know, and that's what's nice is that that was, I think, a nice callback to the original film where it's like, let's take a moment to make this little moral message. And mm-hmm. that's a great little twisted way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Of I'm the bad guy you all need in your life, just so you have someone to point to and say there, that's the guy who's worse than I am. Yeah. I mean, about the only element that they went back to and brought back from the original novel was that he served in the military, mm-hmm. but they never really did anything with it. I mean, like he has that massive machine gun at the end, but they don't really tie that into it in yeah. any way. Well, I think that just made sense given his Cuban background that he would have served yeah. in the military, you know? Yeah. So it made sense to include it. Yeah, because it would have been compulsory at that point. Right. It would have been neat to tie back to the original book and how knowledge that he gained in the military gave him an upper hand in some things, but they didn't go that route, so. No. Let's just go ahead and talk about those last 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, wait, I have a question. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. is his name Scarface? Does he actually have a scar on his face? Yeah, it's yeah, cutting through his eyebrow and down into his cheek. Oh, okay. It's kind of faint. Yeah. They call attention to it toward the beginning. They, when it, he's it, in it, the it was not particularly memorable. You know, I think one of the things that you could argue in both this film and the other one is that as like a decade of time goes by, the scar fades. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you could argue that point or it could just be that once they've established it, they don't need to make it quite as prominent. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the entire point of the scarred face in the original was to hide his old identity. 
So, I mean, there's no real point to the scar on his face in either this film or the last film. Mm-hmm. Apart from, you know, calling the movie Scarface. Yeah, which they never even really use in the film. Yeah, it's not like that's his nickname that people refer to him as or anything, right? It was, again, it was an old marketing tie to tie into Al Capone, who was known as Scarface because he had a scar on his face. Mm-hmm. And he actually did have a really fucked up looking scar on his face. Yeah. I mean, let's just go ahead and talk about the 10 minutes because, I mean, I know those are the most popular ones. Where those are the ones I think when people talk about this movie, that's the ones that they've actually seen. Yeah, he's beset yeah. by the whole Colombian gangsters who are taking over his home and he just basically whips out the most gigantic handheld machine gun and grenade launcher of all time. <laughs> just yeah. starts blowing the shit out of everything. I did not know that I needed Al Pacino with an RPG in my life, but I did. <laughs> that last 10 minutes, I mean, I may not have recommended this movie, but that last 10 minutes. I recommend that last 10 minutes. I would say the danger of only seeing that 10 minutes is that you don't realize that you're dealing with an asshole. So you end up... Rooting? You want to... Yeah. And I mean, I admit, like, his gall and his, if you could call it bravery, I guess, are admirable. He's getting shot the fuck up, and he's just like, yeah, bring it, bitches. You know, he's not falling down. Mm-hmm. But still, you're not really supposed to be rooting for this guy. <laughs> what I like about this film is that it never shies away from the fact that he is the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. And we are waiting for him to fall. We are seeing him gain success, but we are waiting and kind of hoping for the point where it turns around and bites him in the ass. Yeah. And one thing that I like that they actually went back and brought from the real life of Al Capone was the whole he gets busted for tax evasion. Mm. And that kind of marks the downfall of where everything starts to fall apart. But yeah, I mean, in those last 10 minutes, it's not really playing him up like he's Bruce Willis in the end of an action movie. (laughs) It's, we want this fucker to go down, but he's not going to go down without a fight. Right. And he puts up one hell of a fight. Mm Mm-hmm. That was actually, I think, part of one of the endings that was censored in the original was he gets shot and he keeps yelling at them and they shoot him again and he keeps yelling at them. And then the guy comes up behind him with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. It was really impressive. And who was that guy with the shotgun? It's like suddenly Robert Stack as the Terminator comes in. I thought that was the (laughs) whatchamacallit guy that he had been working with before. Was it? I couldn't tell. I don't know. Who do you, wait. The who? boss guy from... The Colombian guy? Yeah. Who who was setting him up? Sosa? No. Yeah, I thought it what? was. Sosa, uh-uh. No, that's definitely not Sosa. Dude, I don't know. Because Sosa was I... on the phone with him, still in <laughs> Colombia, I would assume. So he couldn't have gotten there, I don't think. Okay, then I don't know who that's supposed to be. Let me just check here real quick. I think he was just supposed to look distinctive. He was supposed to be kind of a big deal. Right. Like, to make <laughs> he you was know... It was building the tension. Like, you know something's about to happen because this dude's sneaking up and, yeah. It was a hidden man named The Skull. Mm. Wow, did we? I don't know where they ever established that. I don't (laughs) think they ever named that. But it it wasn't Sosa. Yeah, because he has that kind of, I can see how you would call him The Skull. He's got that kind of look, the shape of his face. They may have just called him that in the script. Yeah, and, and then that's just how they credited him in the end credits. Mm-hmm. So he was just an enforcer. Yeah. He was essentially what Tony used to be. Yep. The hitman. That's actually kind of interesting how I was wondering why they didn't actually have it be Tony versus all the cops, kind of like they did in the original, but that actually is a nice fitting little thing that, no, he's hit by a hitman just like he was in the beginning. It's logical that, you know, he built his way up, he plowed all these people down to get to the top, it's going to be somebody else within that world that takes him down, too. Mm-hmm. Nice little thematic art there, Oliver Stone. 
getting to the rest of the cast, I mean, one of the problems that I have is I can't remember what everyone's name was in these movies, but I liked... I liked Manny. Who was the guy who played his brother or his kind of like best friend? Manny. Uh, I can't remember. Were they, they brothers or were they... No, they were just no, friends. they were friends. They were besties. That's right, because... They he, can't he, be a the brother. Yeah. yeah, there's already enough incestuous weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Bauer. I like Stephen Bauer. I thought he was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They built up the love story between him and Gina more. Yeah, I like how it was just these little exchange glances that they made over several years. Well, and he starts off as such a slime ball. And the thing then... with the tongue. Oh my god. I love that scene. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, he's such a charming creep. Uh-huh. He's the charmer of the two. But yet oh, no, you I still... want to see him get slapped. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was wonderful. But no, like, you really do believe that he fell for her and it kind of chilled him out in a way, you know? It was really well done. And you just know that even if they did have a chance to tell Tony, oh, by the way, we got married and we're in love, Tony would probably still kill him. Yeah. Yeah, I love how they did the whole 1970s martial arts rage movie thing of pushing in on his eyes and doing this shrill sound on the soundtrack whenever he saw her with a guy and got angry. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the bride in Kill Bill. <laughs> well, when Tarantino did it, it was clever. Because Tarantino does not annoy the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And he annoys the shit out of me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Get off my lawn, Noel. So, but I like Stephen Bauer. You know, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, let's just go ahead and talk about her as the sister. She has really awesome hair. I don't know that it was so much incestuous, but I kind of like that she basically hits him with that. Right. Of, what do you want from me? I can never be with any man. What do you want me for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I just love even the bit where she just starts shooting at him just kind of randomly. Yeah, it's not even that he wants to be with her. It's at that point where she's kind of snapped. Yeah. Because she was actually in love with Manny. And you got to see that built up in the story. So when Manny's dead, she's fucking lost it to the point where she's just like, no, what do you want? Do you want to be with me? You want to fuck me, Tony? Like, she's just totally gone at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just, you know, in such a coked out haze. That was a lot of coke on his desk. Yes. Uh, That was a lot of coke. I love the big elephant snorts. (laughs) (laughs) I like the, like, mountain of coke. Like, it's literally a mountain (laughs) of coke. And he yeah. got it on his nose after. Mm-hmm. He's not even using a tube. He's just sticking his face in it. Yeah. Then she gets gunned down and then he pulls out his giant gun. And Well, I like that it's like even when she's dead, he's like still trying to protect her and, and like, I'll be back. I'll be back for you. Like so out of it by that point that he's mm-hmm. just holding on yeah. to her that way. Yeah. That was an interesting, nice play on the way they did it in the original film, too. Mm-hmm. You know, in the original film, she kind of almost, I don't want to say forgave him, but, you know, still loved him. Mm-hmm. And in this film, no, she's gone. Yeah. yeah. In this film, she's unhinged by what he did. And but wouldn't in that you one, be, you know? Is there a woman in this film who didn't wear, other than the mom, who didn't wear a top <laughs> that was cut down to the navel? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think that in the 80s you could actually wear a top and not have it be cut down to the knee. I'm pretty sure that it was actually the law. Well, until you get to the second half of the 80s and everyone wants to start wearing sweatshirts again. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and then her hair. I love Mary Elizabeth Aston Antonio. She's a great, I mean, the abyss. Oh, I love her in that. Mm-hmm. But she seemed to be the white actor struggling the most with the ethnic character. Mm. She didn't really seem to try, Tim, in my opinion. She was just kind of herself. Early mm-hmm. on she did, but then she just kind of abandoned the accent. <laughs> yeah. Who was it that had, was it Robert Loja or was it F. Murray Abraham that had the, oh my God, dude, ser- who, what is going on there? What is with that makeup? I think it was F. Murray Abram because he was really caked up in the brown makeup. Yeah, yeah like it, it's orange. Just, it was terrible. Yeah. Like you're just sitting there and it's like, oh my God. 
Like he was almost blackface. Yeah, like it's like jazz singer levels of just what the hell. Yeah, and I feel bad because there are a lot of, you know, Latino actors in the movie, but they're the ones who have to stay in the background while all of the white actors pretending to be Latino are doing all the major, you know, heavy lifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would have been neat to kind of expand the cast a little. I mean, it's a lot like watching Apache the one with Burt Lancaster as a Native American. And it's all of the main Native American characters are white actors pretending to be Native American. And then there's like dozens of Native American actors who just have to stand there in the back and watch this. I will one-up you and say Dragon Seed, where everyone is in yeah. yellow face. Mm. It's so much worse than that. Yeah. And then uh, I love Tony's mom, mm. who I almost want to just pretend that the stink guy is just that she has to sit there and watch these two guys pretend. Like you fuckers, I hate you all. I'm trying to remember what her name was, the actress. Miriam uh, Colin. Her performance in this was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very similar to the mom in the first movie. That was a role they definitely... I don't know if some of the lines were identical, but they were pretty darn close. In the argument as to whether or not this is a remake, you could very much lay the original film and this film side by side, and there's so many points where they intersect and overlap. Mm. It's just the specifics about what happens are a little different. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the mom was nice. I especially love when she does the big kicks him out of the house, and the sister wants to go to him, and she literally just braces herself in the doorway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a nice bit. I love short, tough women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that whole scene might have been one shot for the most of it, like where she's going back and forth and he's at the kitchen table and everything. Might have been. Yeah, I think a lot of it. De Palma does a lot of singles. The only reason that I noticed it is because her performance in it is so good Mm -hmm. that I was just like, I think they did that in one and that looked really good for like something that was done in one. Yeah. Yeah, no, she kept it going the entire time. She was so kick-ass. Yeah. Because I think she was only in like, what, two scenes maybe? Yeah. Three because she calls him at the end when she goes missing. Mm. Oh, that's right, right. Yeah, three scenes. For someone who had three scenes, she was awesome. Yeah. She was almost, I want to say, a little more memorable than, you know, the Columbia guy. Yeah, she was. You know, the Columbia guy, I I almost think his henchman, the guy who comes up north and then they do that car bomb. Yeah. The quiet guy. Alberto. Which Which, um, Spielberg totally ripped that off um, in Munich. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) probably. Except it's like the house bomb or whatever, but yeah, no. Am I the only one who, A, was like, why are those kids not buckled up? I mean, I know it's the 80s, but seriously, <laughs> the hell, you're all going to die. And then on top of that, was I the only one who actually wanted him to blow up the car? Because I wanted I did, that. No, I did not want that. I wanted them to, like, let's say you wait and see if the wife and kids get out of the car first. Because then you still have an opportunity. Because he's the one who's driving. Because he's the one who needs to then, after dropping them off, go and park. Mm-hmm. See, I wanted him to actually do it because I'm just like, Tony Montana is supposed to be like this horrible person. So I'm like... Well, but I think that's so typical, those like gangsters and things like they have this supposed internal morality where they think that just because they don't kill the wife and kids, they're somehow okay, you know? I'll agree with Evie in that I think that's maybe something they could have set up. Like an earlier scene where either a child ended up dead or he was forced to confront, you know, do I want to kill a kid or not? I think that's something that they could have set up. Well, and especially because you have everyone else in that car with him is willing to let that happen. And they're all gangsters in that car. And that's another thing you could have tied to his war days, you know? Which they never play up. If, you know, maybe during the war he ended up killing a kid, you know? And, yeah. And that's always kind of stuck with him. I can see that. It makes me wonder if maybe there's a few chunks of the script that didn't make it to film because Lord knows they weren't running long or anything. No, no. <laughs> I wish that they had filmed more. 
So uh, since you mentioned Alberto, I, I don't think either of you watched Breaking Bad, right? I you watched like yeah, the first I've seen season? him. I've seen the first couple seasons, so I know that he was on. Okay, it. at the moment I saw him, I'm like, wait, I know that guy. And then it was just so funny because in Breaking Bad, he's also mostly silent. So it was like mm-hmm. a nice little duel, and I'm like, okay. And really watching this after watching Breaking Bad, I was like, wow, Breaking Bad has taken so much influence from this movie. Yeah, there is like no doubt about that. Even like when they're in Colombia, it just reminded me so much of all the stuff when Walt and Gus go down to Mexico, I think it is. The whole thing was set up in a very similar fashion and it was like, oh, okay, influences. You know, but Breaking Bad is one of those ones where I, the only reason I haven't kept up with it is I just fell behind Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of waiting until I can, my dad actually wants to sit down and watch it with me at some point. That's the type of gangster story that I can get into because it is a guy from the outside who's been kind of forced into it. Right. And then I think that actually makes for an interesting character study as opposed to, I just want to be the toughest to it on the street. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mark Margolis, who plays Alberto, I mean, he's a character actor who's been popping up all over the place in the last decade, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Robert Loggia as Frank Lopez, the boss that Tony <laughs> takes over from. Robert Loggia. <laughs> What did I say? No, I'm just thinking of Robert Lojo was on the episode that they did the family guy joke about it. Like, L as in Robert Lojo. O as in, oh my God, is that Robert Lojo? That's the only reason why. That sounds like a stolen Cifalinale joke, but maybe I just hate family guy. (laughs) Yeah, same here. Why do you guys got to hate perfection? You're just jelly. No, well, I, th- I think I, it's because I, she I, likes Family Guy that she thinks the editing is bad here. Yeah, really, right? <laughs> I'm totally fine with people hating Family Guy. I don't care. I'm not your mom. But I mean, no, I thought Robert Loggia. You know, I mean, just again, you know, white guy and Latino role. But I think he's always been a character actor that I enjoy, and I thought he was really good in the role here, especially mm-hmm. the scene where he has to beg for his. I mean, I like this yeah. the line that they use in both the original and this, where he's like, you know, you know me, I've never done anything. I've never hurt anyone. And they go, no, you never did it. You always had someone else do it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Tony, instead of shooting him, has someone else shoot him for him. Yeah. He has Manny do it, I think. Yeah. Yes. I really do like that, though, because for a minute, he gives him that little bit of hope mm-hmm. of like, I'm not going to kill you. Like Manny, shoot him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I was awesome. But it's great with the henchmen right afterward. Yeah, and then with the henchmen were, you know, they just look at the henchmen. What are we going to do with them? You want a job? <laughs> he's like, yes, yes, I do. I would love a job. And then the other guy comes and slaps on that. Congratulations, you got a job. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, me. And then for the rest of the film, he's just one of Tony's main henchmen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Tony, I like these little background henchmen that he has who they never really build them as characters, but they're just always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the one guy who in the very end is trying to bang on his door and get in before he gets gunned down. Right. We see him from back when Tony and the other guys go up to do the drug deal with the Colombians that goes bad. The chainsaw yeah. scene, which we probably yeah. should talk about, huh? Yeah, let's go ahead yeah, and talk about the chainsaw just- scene where... <laughs> Actually, that henchman I know because he's one of the members of the Buckaroo Banzai team. I like him. I think he was on Bosom Buddies, too, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I recognized him, but yeah. There was just this one guy who, you know, came with them on the boats. He's with them since the camps. And then this drug deal goes bad and he ends up handcuffed in a bathroom as this guy's tearing him apart with a chainsaw. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. 
That was pretty brutal itch. I actually expected it to go gorier than it did, but I'm kind of glad it didn't. Yeah. Should I get nerdy? Do y'all know about the whole censorship thing and how this was almost an X-rated film? Go ahead and inform us. I just read it fairly recently. That scene in particular, when the censors originally watched it, they were like, oh no, this is too intense. We have to make this X-rated. De Palma, of course, fought it a bit, and he started making tiny, tiny little cuts to it, and they kept going back and forth. Oh, no, that's not good enough. He'd cut a little tiny bit more. That's not good enough. Well, finally, through back and forth, he was like, you know, I'm making these tiny little adjustments. They're not even going to notice. He sent the original film out as rated R, and nobody ever said anything. Really? It's surprising how often people get away with doing that to the MPA. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And by the time that anybody knew about it, it was already out. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Hitchcock did that too with Psycho. Where- yeah, where they were like, oh, there's a nipple. And he's yeah. like, no, there isn't. Right. I'm just going to put it out. And he just sent it back and they assumed that he had done it. So again, Brian De Palma ripping off Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just genuinely being awesome and assuming that the MPAA was not going to watch it again. No, I mean, it's a scene that's great because of what you don't see. Mm-hmm. You don't expect it to go to that extreme. Mm-hmm. To suddenly just go from a deal gone bad to, oh, the guy's pulling out a chainsaw. Yeah, that's like... I mean, I think that especially is a scene where you can see influence on Breaking Bad, too. Mm-hmm. You just don't expect some scenes to suddenly explode into the extremes that they become. Now, all yeah. of a sudden, chainsaw. And I love how actually then when we cut back up to the room, you just have this close-up of one arm hanging from the pipe, mm-hmm. and then another arm comes up and you realize that's not the guy who just had his arm cut off, that's Tony. Mm-hmm. It was just this interesting little psych out. Yeah. And I love how his friends are sitting down in the car and they're looking up at the window and they don't see this big bright splash of red on the window. <laughs> mm. well, well, Manny is very busy hitting on that yes. girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> you know, but he didn't do the tongue trick. That's where he missed out. <laughs> yes, that was clearly the issue there. <laughs> what also surprised me about that was I thought that him getting shot was going to be more of a thing. But now, it, you know, it goes through and he, he heals up and it's never mentioned again. Yeah. But I thought that was actually kind of realistic. Of You know, this scene has gone to such an extreme that, okay, we'll let this guy live. <laughs> you know, this other guy got torn apart by a fucking chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. I especially love then when the bad guy, they're all bad guys, but when the yeah. antagonist of that scene is then escaping by literally just chainsawing through the wall, <laughs> chainsawing through the door, <laughs> the glass. Okay, was I the only one who was having like the Shirley from Community thing with it? And then he chainsawed them to bits. <laughs> like, that's just where I was at at that point. I'm like, oh, I, I was not even sorry. I wasn't. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if they ever remake this again, just put on Tony Montana's big machine gun, just add a chainsaw blade. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. <sighs> you know, I'm kind of amazed that they haven't tried to do a remake oh, they of have. this. Okay, they have. 2011, they wrote another script. They started shopping it around. Nobody wanted to touch it. But let me ask you this. Black Gangs? I don't know. It was by Neil Moritz, who produced a whole bunch of shitty 90s teen movies. Like, he did all the various I Know What You Did Last Summers and Urban Mm. Legends and Skulls and all that stuff. Because I do think that would be an interesting way to make this again. Neil Moritz produces all of Rob Cohen's movies. Rob Cohen makes movies still? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> occasionally ah no he doesn't but yeah neil moritz wanted to and neil moritz is just he's a producer in the way brett ratner is a director <laughs> so we use the air quotes yeah mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, they did a script. I haven't seen it. I don't have my hands on it. I don't know. I haven't even read the script of this film yet. For their version, I can just have one of the cats roll around on the keyboard for you. And whatever they come up with, just assume it's that, but not as good. I want a film where it's about competitive dance-offs. And, you know, and they do like this big break dance scene and they end it by stomping and going, Scarface. So like West Side Story meets Scarface? And they just do that like five times throughout the film so and everyone else is... you just is, want like, whatchamacallit, I want a five-minute-long Saturday Night Live sketch. Oh, my <laughs> But, you know, Scarface, it's one of those stories that you could maybe do, like, every 50 years. Like, I'd like to see it done mm-hmm. in, in, like, 20, 30 years from now, because the crime scene of the 30s was very different from the crime scene of the 80s, and it was nice how each film kind of reflected that. Right. Mm-hmm. But then again, if you think about it, each film is also kind of looking back a bit. The one in the 80s, you know, looks back a few years into what led up to the business and drug mindset of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And in the old one, they go back and look at the Prohibition era. Right. I wouldn't be entirely against a new remake. I mean, it means we would have to have you on the show again to discuss it. Okay. What would they, but I'm like, what is our version of a criminal now? And I'm just like, um, the Wall Street guys? I could take them out. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I could probably kick their asses and I'm not that Yeah, tough. and Oliver Stone already made those movies. Yeah. <laughs> the drug trade, it's not what it was back in the 80s. I mean, yeah. it's not gone away. Yeah. I mean, you know, Breaking Bad has already pretty much covered the meth trade. Right. You know, and that's always been a little grimier, a little small time than the massive billions of dollars of the cocaine industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know what you could do for the modern day. Well, I think they would try to do it from like a black perspective i'm afraid of what might happen if the wrong people did it there's actually a a self-published novel that i found out called black scarface okay where it's basically scarface with a black eye on the street Mm. i'm like how did this guy legally do this because he's literally just taking the same story (laughs) um satire he kind of like 50 shades of gray yeah there's also another self-published novel called Sister Scarface. Okay. With a black female Scarface. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just literally did an Amazon search for Scarface to see what was <laughs> out there, and I found these things. And I'm like, yeah, I won't read them. No. So, I mean, anything else you want to say about the film? I mean, I think it is a very well-shot movie. I like a lot. Like, I like the weird 80s power anthem montage sequence. Mm-hmm. It dates it, but it works. It does. You know, I, I genuinely like this movie. I, I genuinely did. I didn't really have any problems with this movie, even how long it was. It was a film where there was enough story there that it kind of justified the length. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any problems with it. I liked it more the first time I watched it than I did the second time. I think I noticed the length more the second time around. Yeah. But yeah, I just I think it's really well done and it's enjoyable and I don't know, I like it. And it ages pretty well and mm-hmm. there's enough weird wild stuff that pops up that it can be a fun film too. Yeah. Like the crazy last 10 minutes in the chainsaw scene. <laughs> I feel like I could just watch the chainsaw scene and the last 10 minutes on a loop and I'd be like, that would be awesome. You want the scenes with Michelle Pfeiffer, though, too. Don't, don't oh, I do. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's awesome. So basically, it's <laughs> just those ones. Here's another thing. The tiger. Oh, God. T- that's not played up enough. Like, what happens to that tiger? Yeah, I mean, how come we didn't have, like, the tiger running around in the last 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, like, where the fuck did the tiger go? Tony's sitting there mowing down people while the tiger's leaping up behind him and tearing out throats. Well, and it's Did Michelle Pfeiffer get custody of the tiger when she left? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he's got that entire setup in his room. He can just push a button, the chain comes loose, and then that thing just starts picking off. I just felt bad for the tiger being on the chain like that. Because it he, like, he, he, like, with a spotlight run. on him during the night. He like <laughs> runs and gets caught on the chain. I'm like, who 
did that. That's awful. Yeah. Tony, show more respect to your tiger. It'd be funny if he goes and cuts the chain and says, Tiger, let's take him out. And the tiger just says, fuck you and jumps over a fence. No, no that's the 80s animated Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> Tony and the tiger. That's the how this movie should have ended short. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, tiger. Let's take him out. Tiger just jumps on him and eats him. <laughs> Don't you eat me. I'm fucking Tony Montana. <laughs> Oh, man. It's a fun film, and it's I can see why it has become kind of this pop culture mainstay that it's become. Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if people have seen all of it, though. Like, the guys who think it's so awesome, where they think Tony Montana is such a badass. Yeah, that that's my question, is how many people have sat through the entire movie? Yeah, right. I'm like, I know that they've seen the chainsaw scene. I know they've seen the but last 10 minutes. They've definitely seen the yeah. last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm like, because he's kind of, I don't know if you'd call him a hero or an anti-hero, but he's definitely a character no, that's... that's where I definitely say he's definitely the villain of the story, and there is no real hero. Yeah, it's but like... in pop culture, I'm talking about. Yeah, the way people talk be... about him and think of him. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not really who he is. Did you even watch yeah. the movie? You probably didn't. Yeah. If you've only seen, like, that end scene, then yeah, I can see how you would think he's the hero. But I'm like, if you've watched the whole thing, he's not really that heroic. No. And he makes no bones about it. He knows that he's the bad guy. I mean, he even mm -hmm. has that entire speech where he says he's the bad guy. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's what makes Tony what he is popular because he makes no bones about the fact that he's an asshole and a brutal, ruthless hitman. Mm -hmm. He just knows how to do it in a way that makes him lots and lots of money. I think also just with lines like, say hello to my little friend. I mean, you can't yeah, mm -hmm. not get stuck in pop culture with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially when you have like Mike Myers holding an actual little person and saying, say hello to my little friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can count how many times that's been parodied. See, and that's the thing. I know so many people know that moment mm -hmm. who haven't even seen the last 10 minutes. Like, I've never actually seen that last 10 minutes before. I've only seen that exit from him. So I didn't know who he was shooting at. Mm. I never knew who it was that he was fighting. Mm. So that's why having seen the first film, I thought, are the feds and the SWAT coming down on him? I don't think it even matters. Like, yeah. who it is no. that he's shooting at is ancillary to the fact that he's just shooting at people. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I almost feel bad that Mary Elizabeth and Mr. Antonio's character went down. Just as she's making a point, the gunman comes in and just mows her down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anything else we want to say? Any final thoughts on this movie? I think we covered it. Yep. I found it interesting the way that it tied in the whole Cuban refugee movement mm -hmm. of the late 70s. And then his first assassination was actually a political assassination from one of the communist leaders. Right. I mean, that was an interesting little tie. It didn't really add anything, but it was neat. Mm -hmm. That's about all I got. <laughs> <laughs> was Al Pacino wearing a wig or did he actually cut his hair like that? It looked like his real hair to me. I don't know. Yeah, pretty sure it was his hair. Because it just had this piled up in back like a wig. I don't know. It's kind of the least of the offenses of what people were wearing. Yeah. yeah. I think of all of them, that would be the least troublesome. <laughs> oh, you know, one of the other things I liked was that they carried on that whole bit where the Michelle Pfeiffer character... He's doing things that are really flashy and gaudy, and she's calling him on it, and he thinks yeah. she's impressed by it. I love that. And refuses to acknowledge that she's not. Mm -hmm. Like, I love when he gets the Cadillac with the leopard print seats. Oh, God, yeah. Or when he's getting the new car and everything, and meanwhile, mm -hmm. she's just like, yeah, you should get fog lights, too. Here's what surprised me was the car dealer made the joke about how, you know, it costs extra to install the machine guns. I was thinking in the last 10 minutes he was going to have a Cadillac with machine guns, because it would have fit. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And then it doesn't happen, and Noel's so disappointed. I was literally in the last 15 minutes, so he doesn't have machine guns. <laughs> you were waiting for it. I was serious. I mean, like, there was that bit when he was attacked at the nightclub mm-hmm. and was driving away. I was thinking, okay, a car is going to come behind him. He's going to press a button, and there's going to be machine guns, aren't there? And it's like, where's, where's my machine guns? <laughs> I didn't get my machine guns. Yeah, I was actually let down by the fact that there were no machine guns. I guess the other thing, too, is I'm assuming it's not in the book that the world is yours. Yeah, that was from the movie. Yeah. You know, in the original movie, it made sense because it was this billboard that was across from where he lived mm-hmm. that he would look up at every day. And in this one, it was just a random thing that he saw on the Goodyear blimp as it flew by. Mm-hmm. And then he built a little monument to it. Well, yeah. because it happened as he killed, what's his name? It was when he really kind of rose to power. So it was such a striking coincidence for him that it was enough for him to do it. But it's still a very striking coincidence. Yeah. And then I just love the way like he falls into the fountain and the blood gushes up along with the water. Oh, And then, yeah, the world is yours right behind. It's like, I don't know. It's great. It was a very, crap, what was the Citizen Kane? Rosebud. It was kind of a very Mm. nice little rosebud moment. Yeah. But yeah, Scarface, I think it's a good film. I absolutely recommend it. If we had to pick one of these two films to watch once a year, every year for the rest of our lives, Evie would probably fast forward through this one. I, no, I would watch the Michelle Pfeiffer scenes, and I would watch the Chainsaw scene, and I would watch the last 10 minutes. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I picked the remake by default of the fact that there's still stuff about it that I like, whereas with the original Scarface, I'm like, I like the two female characters and the rest of it can go to pot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I would pick this one, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the original one, I'm glad I saw it. Mm-hmm. It has its place in history, but it's a film of its time. Yep. Yep. And I should mention that Scarface didn't quite end here. Dark Horse released a novel called Scarface The Beginning, where it was a prequel story. And then IDW came and did a comic book series called Scarface Scarred for Life, where it turns out that Tony is still alive and he's been recovered from the rubble and starts building up his crime empire again. And this tied into the video games Scarface The World Is Yours and Scarface Money, Power, and Respect. Why? It's like literally in the last decade, there's been like this whole pop culture resurgence of Scarface. Yeah. In comic books and video games, of all things. And, and, anyone, uh. and anyone who is on an episode of Cribs back when they used to have Cribs, everyone has a copy of Scarface? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Let's see, looking at Wikipedia here, in 2001, there was an attempt by a hip-hop artist named Cuban Link to do a TV series starring him <laughs> called Son of Tony. Mm-hmm. Tell me all about this. <laughs> I want to know. Like That's all I know about it. It doesn't say anything else. And then, of course, in 2011... They were attempting to do a a remake. David Ayer wrote the script. Hmm. It never really... I mean, David Yates, who did some of the Harry Potters, was in talk to direct, but nothing really came of it. I don't really know where they would go. I mean, it says that this one attempted to take elements from both the original and the remake, as well as from the novel, but it doesn't really say anything else. But they're all close enough to each other that you wouldn't... What's the difference, really? Yeah. Eh, I don't know. Maybe it's an American soldier from Afghanistan sets up a criminal empire in Bangkok. I don't know. Sure, why not? It was interesting how there was this little burst of pop culture success. With They not only brought the remastered film out in theaters again, but there was the novel and the comics and the video games. I imagine the video games were essentially Grand Theft Auto. I... T- I know nothing about them. You know, that's probably why those video games were made, was because Grand Theft Auto has such of a mafia angle to those storylines, and they were really big for a while there. 
that I could see someone saying, oh, let's take this license and cash in on that. Okay, apparently the first video game, the very first level are the last 10 minutes of the movie where you're playing (laughs) through that. And then three months after the mansion shootout, Tony returns to Miami and everyone assumes... Actually, this is kind of like the book. Everyone assumes he's dead, so he sets up a new identity because his face is all messed up again. Okay, so they were at least (laughs) trying. I love this. Hiding in his safe house, Tony regrets the decisions he has made and makes a vow to drop his cocaine addiction. (laughs) Yeah, that'll fix everything! (laughs) He then swears revenge on Sosa and promises to kill anyone who's in league with his nemesis. Oh my god. Now I have to play this somehow, just to see it. They actually brought Stephen Bauer back in to play a different character, a drug dealer named Sandman. (laughs) Tony has to fight the Nachos Contreras. That sounds delicious. Who control a floating casino. That's a game level. (laughs) After a chase through said boat, the wounded Nachos are killed by a shark. Oh. (laughs) There's characters in this game voiced by Cheech Marin and Michael York. In my eyeballs. Oh my god. So it's basically you have to shoot your way down to Columbia to fight the guy who tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a logical thing. It's just there's no way he survived that. I know. <laughs> you know, it's like magic. <laughs> just make him a bionic man or something, go. <laughs> I am Robo Montana. <laughs> oh. I will fuck you up as soon as I learn these controls. <laughs> Then the second game is basically a Grand Theft Auto where Tony kind of oversees this mm. crime empire and you just have to go and do tasks for him. Okay, yeah. But yeah, the first one just sounds so damn crazy that I want it. Mm-hmm. I want to almost just see if there's a Let's Play I can watch. Apparently I can get a one for used only $8, so I'm <laughs> I'm kind of tempted <laughs> to just try it. Why not? Hey, if you need something to stream. Maybe I can stream it, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at least you got the whole river casino level where the bad guy gets eaten by a shark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I almost feel like it would be better if it was a crocodile, but I'll take what I can get. Oh, and apparently he actually overthrows the dictatorship of Colombia and frees it for the people. Oh, (laughs) y'all. Okay. All right, then. This is like the best game concept ever. (laughs) And they actually went to Oliver Stone and asked him to consult on it, and he was like, fuck no. Was he too busy prepping for Alexander? Oh, God, now I see why. They went to David McKenna, the guy who did American History X, Mm. who has... That was just a really eccentric, bizarre guy. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of his feud with with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the guy who supervised this game. All right. Well, I think we've covered... Now that we've brought the game into it. (laughs) (laughs) You think? So I think we've reached the end of our Scarface episode. Yes. Thank you for joining us again, Angie. Oh, thanks for having me. Come back. Don't need me. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Evie. Good night. Okay. Do you want to play with us? Okay. Say hello to my little friend. To read show notes for this and every one of our episodes, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.blogspot.com. comment sections are open, so let us know what you think about the films discussed. Don't you think you fuck with me, man? I don't even You fuck with me! You fuck with the back!
I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I know they did like a prequel and then they were like, but Tony's still alive and here's a sequel. Yeah, the, the world is yours. <laughs> he wakes up in a hospital covered in bandages. Oh, yeah. He's totally, he lives through that. No doubt. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure we'll have he, things he to say. He walked it off. He walked it off. It's fine. <laughs> you know, he just picked out each bullet like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> 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 you fucking cockroach. <laughs> Oh, God.